It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. On your Wednesday episode of Locked On Raptors, we answer questions from you, the listeners. We've got questions about which Raptor will improve most from downtown next season, draft night trade concepts, plus some historical stuff. Who should be the first Toronto Raptor to get a jersey retired? And if the Memphis Grizzlies had stayed in Vancouver, would the Raptors and Grizzlies be cross-country foes or friends? We'll dig into that on today's episode of Locked On Raptors. Thanks for hanging. Oh, because when I shot, I expected to make it. So I don't shoot kind of miss. You are Locked On Raptors, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's going on? And welcome to another episode of Locked on Raptors, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. It is Wednesday, May the 24th, and I'm your host, Sean Woodley. I've been covering the Toronto Raptors now for nine seasons on various platforms. You can find all my work over on Twitter at WoodleySean. You can follow, subscribe to, rate, and review the podcast for free wherever you get your podcasts. And of course, you can find us on Instagram at Locked On Raptors. And most importantly, jump into the Locked On Raptors Discord. We got a great little community building around the show. Lots of fun in there. Good chats about the Raptors, their direction, trades, the playoffs, everything going on in the Locked On Raptors Discord. It's the place to be, baby. The link is in the description, both in the audio and video versions of the podcast. So go check it out. And again, if you have not yet subscribed to the YouTube channel, you can look at my face every day. Don't know why you'd want to do that, but you can do that. So please go and subscribe. Even if you're not going to watch the videos, just hit the red subscribe button, boost the numbers, and never think about it again. And I'm fine with that too. Okay. Today's show is brought to you by Bird Dogs. Go to birddogs.com slash LockedOnNBA. When you enter the promo code LockedOnNBA, they'll throw in a free custom Bird Dogs Yeti-style tumbler with every order. More on Bird Dogs a little later. All right. On today's show, we're digging into your mailbag questions. As promised off the top, we have questions about the draft and trades that could go down that night. Is the way for the Raptors to get into the draft? Maybe the back end of the first round, the second round with some kind of trade? I don't know if that's super likely, but we'll get to that. We're going to talk about which Raptors are going to improve most from three next season. We've got some historical stuff. It's a loaded, diverse mailbag today. Let's begin, however, with our dear pal, Freddie Revis from the Confederacy of Dunks podcast, the very, very great Confederacy of Dunks podcast. Freddie, an all-time great question asker, and he's asking the question, which player on the roster has the biggest improvement from three next year? And so with this question, we'll just assume the Raptors do what I think is probably the most likely course of action here. You may disagree with it, but I think it's what's most likely considering their current station and just the way they do things. Uh, I, I think... You know, if they bring back the same roster here, Pascal Siakam, I think, not only is the guy I think stands the best chance of an uptick from three, but also is the most important guy to see said uptick from. It would be lovely if Scotty Barnes came into next season and was a 35% three-point shooter, hitting pull-ups, hitting catch-and-shoots. 
that just doesn't seem very likely. That's a lot to put on a guy who's got a lot of developmental stuff to handle this offseason. It'd be great if there was a slight uptick there, but I'm not banking on it necessarily. With Pascal Siakam, though, I do think there is enough of a track record of him being a passable three-point shooter to think he can get back there. He has not been that for the last couple seasons, kind of floating in around that 32% range the last few years here. Um, but there's clearly a history of some pretty decent results from three, and in some areas of the floor, some one-season samples, some excellent results from various parts of the floor from three. It's a little bit of like a -a whack-a-mole when you go back and look at Siakam's three-point history. You know, one year he's white-hot from a corner, one year he's incredible at home, the home road splits are nuts, this was this past year, of course, Uh, you know, he's got pull-ups baked in in 2019-20, where he was actually pretty decent, hit like 34% of his pull-ups. Um, back in 21-22, the season prior to this past one, 48% from the corners overall, 36.5% on catch and shoots. This is all per clean the glass. Um, even this season, 34.1% on catch and shoots. Not great. Not by any means is that great, but it's better than his sort of regular averages for this past year. And again, he had those wild home road splits where he was just lights out in like first quarters of home games. And then the rest of the season, it was not the greatest time from downtown for Pascal. Pascal, even go back to 2018-19, he was 38% on catch and shoots, uh, 36% on catch and shoots in that season where he was also, you know, killing with pull-ups in that 2019-20 year. Um, There is, like, history here of Pascal being an okay three-point shooter, and I don't know if the Raptors need him to be a 40% three-point shooter to make this whole thing work, but they badly need him to be a passable three-point shooter, and I think there's an avenue there, as presumably the offensive responsibilities start to shift a little towards Scotty. I don't think it's going to be a full, this is Scotty's team situation or anything like that. I don't think that's how basketball typically should be played. <laughs> Frankly, I think having multiple options is, is a good thing. And so I think we'll see a higher usage rate for Scotty. We'll see him create more. We'll see him run more pick and roll. We'll see him isolate, I'm sure, plenty as they try to get him more touches and get him into spots on the floor where he can be weaponized. I would love to see them continue to sprinkle in him as a short roller. I'm a little bit peeved that after Jakob Pertl arrived, we just never really saw that again. And that was the best Scotty Barnes we saw all last year was him working as a dive man and working from the middle of the floor. I think there's a construction of the floor where you can have Scotty as your short roll guy, put Yak in the dunker spot. You can weaponize the dump off pass there and the gravity that Scotty has going to the rim. We've seen him score over the best rim protectors alive when he's kind of chugging downhill in that short roll situation. That's going to open up help coming his way. That'll open up those dump offs. That'll open up kickouts to three-point shooters. But it all works way better if Pascal Siakam can hit his corner threes, hit his catch and shoots, you know, whether it's corner or above the break. Um, And I do think there's a little bit of sort of untapped offensive potential here using Pascal more as a second side action guy, as as an attacker of closeouts, as someone who can exploit a tilted defense. We know Pascal's really good getting downhill, getting to the bucket, scoring at the rim. He shot 72% at the rim this past season. He's got that mid-range game on point now. He's got the spin moves. He's got all sorts of counters when he's able to get going downhill. One of the problems of the last few years has been there's not been a lot of space for Pascal to really exploit when he's driving, and he's had to sort of adopt this more plodding, 
probing, kind of meandering into the paint and then figuring things out as things develop, as the team throw, the opponent throws defense at him, then he can react. It'd be nice to kind of let Pascal work in a way where he doesn't have to think all that much. And he can kind of just either hit a catch and shoot three, to take a step in, hit a mid-ranger, drive to the bucket. Um, and using Scotty as sort of the initiator of those actions, I, I think could be really useful. Again, this doesn't work if teams don't care about Pascal Siakam as a three-point shooter. And teams will not care about Pascal as a three-point shooter until he makes him prove it. And so it's going to be vital for him to re- recapture some of the uh, you know 2018 through 2020 magic he had from deep. And again, this is not we're not asking for Clay Thompson here. We're asking for pretty decent like league average-ish three-point shooting. And I think if you have Siakam shooting 35-36%, you have OG shooting his customary 38 to 40%. You have Fred maybe bouncing back up if Fred's back on the team shooting, you know, his typical 36% or something like that. If you have those guys spacing for Scotty in the middle of the floor, you have Yak to, you know, use from the elbows or the dunker spot, or maybe you run Yak Scotty pick and roll or whatever. I do think there could be just enough shooting to make it work. And again, this offensive lineup was good. Like it, 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 as much as the space was bad down the stretch, and as much as the competition maybe wasn't like unbelievable, the the lineup was good. The offense scored well. I'm trying to find it here. Um, just give me bear with me as I click through to get the exact numbers. But like the Raptors starting five with Jakob Pertl was able to score, and, and that was with really clunky spacing and really sort of cramped. You know, everyone's kind of unsure outside of OG Ananobi and Fred Van Vliet and Yaka Pertle, I guess three-fifths of the starting five. You know, it was hard for Scotty and Pascal to really find their spots consistently, consistently and kind of know where they were going to get their bread buttered. I, I think with a little bit more imagination baked into the offense, a little bit more structure in terms of like set designs and, um, you know, the way they kind of run things in the past has been very free-flowing and sort of read and react. Maybe there's got to be a little bit more structure, sort of pre-prescribed action and, um, you know, play design going into things here. But again, that's starting five, 119.1 offensive rating in 313 minutes. Like, that's not nothing. It's not everything, but it's not nothing. And they did that with super cramped spacing. If you can just have a slight uptick from Pascal, and this is not asking something crazy. This is not looking at, uh, I don't know, like a guy who stinks at shooting. This is not being like uh, Anthony Davis. Now you have to go be a 40% three-point shooter for this thing to work. That's not what you're asking here of Pascal Siakam. You're asking Pascal to sort of expand upon his expanding mid-range game and tap back into the three-point shooting he was able to really, really cash in on back when he was first making his ascent as the most improved player and then, um, you know, in 2019-20 as an All-NBA guy. Like, he's done this not too far in the past. I think the last few seasons, the team context has been very cramped. The shot difficulty for Pascal has been crazy. The fact that he's carried, you know, slightly above league average efficiency through that is really impressive. And I think, you know, a bit of a, again, a shifting of the responsibilities, a little bit more tilted towards Scotty. Not fully, because Pascal's still a great creator himself. Um, but if you can have Scotty operate a little bit more, getting downhill, using his sort of force and strength to get to the rim, to get into the sort of areas where defense has got to start worrying about him, that's going to open up a ton. Should create a lot of really great looks for Pascal and OG and Fred. Um, but again, this is all uh, contingent upon uh, a slight uptick there from, from Pascal and teams actually caring about him as a three-point shooter. It won't happen overnight. It'll have to take some time. But that is, I, I think, the context suggests to me that Siakam's in line potentially for an uptick here if they can reestablish things a little bit re-envision the shape of the offense and it's also the most important he has to do it he has to become a better three-point shooter otherwise 
the Scotty Pascal yak trio just ain't going to work when it comes to the playoffs, when it comes to sort of long-term sustainable success. And so it's big. It's like maybe the biggest swing skill on the entire Raptors team going into next season. That and Scotty's shooting. Like if Scotty becomes a shooter, then game over. That's incredible. I don't expect that to happen though. Pascal feels like a realistic thing to ask for him to maybe recapture some of that old magic that he's had moments of being a very good three-point shooter, even this past season. He's like 43% from the left corner, uh, or like 40, something crazy like that, and then it was like 17% from the right corner. I don't get it. It's weird. It's very strange. It's whack-a-mole, but it's got to happen. And if not, then some serious questions will be asked. If they're not already being asked about the, that duo, that trio, that front-court trio right now, I have a hunch that the Raptors wouldn't have made the Yak trade without wanting to at least see more than 26 games of those three guys playing together, but uh, this will be the year. If it doesn't happen, then there are going to be some serious questions asked about the spacing and the viability of that trio going forward. We'll come back on the other side. We'll get into some more mailbag questions. We've got stuff about trades, draft night deals. Is it the way for the Raptors to get into the back end of the first round again? I kind of think it's a long shot, but we'll get into why that is in just one second. Before we do that, however, got to tell you, better friends over at Bird Dogs, new sponsor that we have here on the network. And look, when it comes to shorts, I, I, I've talked about this before. I'm a really hot guy. I'm not, not like attractive or anything like that. God, no. Uh, but I am warm. I run hot. And like the weather, as soon as it starts to tick up above, like 17, 18, I'm in shorts mode. I gotta be. But the problem is when you're a hot, warm guy and you're wearing shorts, sometimes the material's not right. You're feeling like you're trapped in your shorts and it's just not doing it for you. They're not offering the reprieve that short pants are supposed to offer. Bird Dogs does exactly that. They're super comfortable. They have all sorts of different styles and brands you can go look into. Uh, you know, Oxfords, khakis, gym shorts, swim trunks. It's all there for you to go and peruse. And they're all super duper comfortable. I really like my Bird Dogs. They sent me a couple pairs and they have been a part of the rotation for the last week or so since they came in. Uh, super, super comfortable. And they're versatile. You can wear them to uh, an, an out, a night out with friends. You can wear them on a date. You can wear them to the gym. They're all, all seasons, all times, all things you want to use them in, you can go and wear your bird dogs. So go to birddogs.com slash NBA. When you enter the promo code LOCKEDONNBA, they'll throw in a free custom bird dogs Yeti style tumbler. I have the tumbler. It's great with every single order. Go check them out. Birddogs.com slash NBA. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, we continue on here. First listen of the day. Thank you so much for tuning in and for making us uh, an everyday part of your routine. If you are an everydayer of the podcast, please let us know in the comments below. It's uh, much appreciated. Or you can always shoot me a message on IG or on Twitter or whatever, uh, or in the Discord, huh? Join the Discord. All right, more questions. Let's dive in, shall we? Uh, this one comes from Matt T in the Discord. Uh, by the way, getting in the Discord is the way to prioritize your questions. Freddie got one in because Freddie's a sicko, but uh, <laughs> when it comes to the Discord, that's where most of these questions are being pulled from. So if you want your questions answered on the show, join the Discord, okay? Um, this one from Matt T. Who would you trade from this roster to get another pick? Please let it be Flynn, LOL. Um, look, it's always nice to think about trading into the draft for extra picks. It happens 
so rarely. It's really hard to pull off because everyone wants to draft on draft night. It's draft night. Everyone wants a piece of the sweet, sweet prospect action and the hope that comes with drafting said prospects. The Raptors have the 13th pick. I kind of think that's the only pick they're going to end up with in the first round. They don't have a second rounder either. Maybe they buy back in, but like how often do we say they could buy back into the draft and no one ever does it because it costs a lot of money. It's like a few million bucks to do it. I know that shouldn't be an object for, you know, anything to at MLSE to be concerned about, but still it takes money and you need two people to, to, to tango. Like the other team has to want to sell their pick. And a lot of teams want those second round picks because everybody loves prospects. And so when it comes to guys on the roster who you could trade for a pick, I mean, we've talked about Chris Boucher as a potential trade candidate this summer just because of the money he makes and because of the um, sort of need to rebalance the bench and get some diverse sets of skills in there to sort of complement what they have on the roster already, which is a whole lot of long 6'9 wings and forwards. Um, and so I, there's, I guess you could look at trading Chris Boucher for a pick, but honestly, I think Chris Boucher should be traded for a player. And ultimately... Where the Raptors are right now, as much as it's nice to add prospects, like this is still a team that's trying to be competitive. They have said it. Like, this is not a team that's going to tank. You may disagree with that, and that's your prerogative, but like, this team is not going to go down the tubes. They are not going to tear it down to the studs. And so, just thinking about how they are thinking, I, I, I would imagine they want to try to get real players in the door as opposed to prospects who are going to, uh, you know, maybe take some time. It'd be nice to add more prospects to the sort of shadow core that's slowly building here between Precious, Christian Coloco, the 13th pick. Like, there, there's a little bit of, like, the beginnings of, like, a, a, another wave of young talent coming through. It'd be great to get into the back part of the draft, but I, I just don't see it as super likely. It's also worth noting. And look, varying opinions on the draft and the quality of it, but it seems to be that the consensus among a lot of scouts is that like after like 20, 22, 25, like it's not exactly a loaded draft, not exactly, you know, rich with deep talent. This is not one of those drafts where like a bunch of really good players are likely to slip into the second round necessarily, at least reading the experts. Like, again, I, I'm not professing to be a draft expert by any means, but just reading the people whose opinions I trust, it seems as though there's a bit of a drop-off in the late part of the first round. And so maybe there's not all that crazy incentive to get in there, or maybe that opens up the possibility of getting in there because some other team doesn't value the 28th pick as much. You know, it's hard to say what these teams' motivations are, but I just don't really see a player on the roster you're trading for a good draft pick. Malachi Flynn, I'm sorry. It's not happening. He is not a good NBA player hasn't really shown anything to suggest that he's going to be, and he's got one year left on his rookie-scale contract. Like, there, there's just, if you're a team, just think, like, go through the logic of this. If you're trying to sort of get a project player, would you rather have the 29th pick or the 35th pick in the draft to just get a guy you have on your team for a while, or trade for a guy who's already shown very little in the way of NBA readiness a guy who's had a career shooting a true shooting percentage of 48.4 percent which is awful like so bad the very worst of precious achua that's what malachi flynn has been for his entire career full stop that is what his true shooting percentage is for his whole career i don't see why a team would forego the cost certainty of a new draft pick coming to the team the years you get to spend molding them when you can in place of getting Malachi Flynn who's not going to help your team right away he's just not like there's just I don't think there's a single team in the league who Malachi Flynn could be traded to and like walk into 20 minutes of productive action a night for it's just not happening and so I don't see that being a viable option here I suppose if you're like 
soured on Precious or you're worried about paying him his next contract or you, you don't want to have to have his next deal on the books, you could look at trading Precious to a team that's maybe a little younger but has like a, you know, maybe like the Thunder or something like that. Like the, maybe Precious is the type of guy the Thunder would go for and you can get a pretty decent pick for Precious. Again, not it's not going to be like, they're not getting number 12 for Precious or anything like that where the Thunder are right now, but the Thunder have a bazillion picks. Maybe there's a way there to turn Precious into something, but like I'd rather just have Precious on the team. I think his defense is really important um, and I think he offers a lot of stylistic versatility. When he comes in, he can be your small ball center in a pinch or, you know, he can switch for you on the wing in a smaller look however you want to align it he's obviously not best as a center but in a pinch in a 10 minute spurt of a game he could absolutely do that and give you a different look to Jakob Pertl I'd rather just have that on the team than a first round pick who again like mystery box could be anything it could even be a precious Achua Uh, and, and so I would be very shocked if they have the juice if they have the stuff to trade into the back part of the first round um you know trading up that's another thing like obviously we've talked about the Blazers a ton I guess the Hornets maybe although I don't really see why the Hornets would trade for a veteran player or anything like that right now they're so far away at least the Blazers have Dame and like some infrastructure there to build a decent team around them um and so unless it's a trade up with like a big swing deal I don't really see there being a whole lot of action and that's fine like I said last week everydayers will remember the 13th spot is a perfectly fine place for the Raptors to be, considering the quality of players in that range, and specifically the number of players who have the skills the Raptors desperately need, guard play, shot creation, three-point shooting. Uh, there's a lot of guys who offer that in that range, and so I, I think they're going to be perfectly comfortable. They're going to get a good player to add to their mix here, um, and uh, you know, I'd expect that, you know, admit not going to be like a positive player next year. Very few rookies ever are, but certainly someone who I think will offer some minutes soaking up and some positive moments throughout the season to be sure. Um, Good question though. It's nice to think about getting into the draft, but I just, I don't really see it taking place. Uh, And then also for Matt T, let's quickly answer this one here. Matt T also asks, Hey Sean, what are your thoughts? If Adrian Griffin ended up being the hire for the Raptors, I'm kind of nonplussed, honestly, like truthfully, it's hard to know, you know, the assistance of the Raptors. I think, it used to be that there was a little bit more like definition as to, oh, Nick Nurse is the offensive guy or Chris Finch is the offensive guy and, uh, you know, Rex Kalamian runs the defense or whatever. I don't know if we quite got that same sort of peek behind the curtain as to like who's responsible for what, who's player development, who's, I know Jim San is very involved in the player development, Rico Hines, of course, but like who runs the defense, who runs the offense? seems like no one's running the offense, which is a little bizarre and alarming. Um, You know, obviously Trevor Gleason's in there. You know, it's tough to know. It's very collaborative. We don't really have, this isn't the the NFL where there's like, that's the offensive coordinator, that's the defensive coordinator. It's just not what the Raptors have done over the last little while here. Since really Chris Finch left, where he was like the offensive tactician. Wasn't it nice when they were running like beautiful sets for that fleeting first half of the Tampa season? Uh, (laughs) um, But yeah, I think Griffin... If he's respected by the guys in the room, if the guys in the room are all right with it, then I'm fine with it. If they're not, or if it just feels like maybe more of the same, then I'm not. That said, I don't think it's fair to just assume because he was Nick Nurse's assistant that it would be more of the same. We thought when the Raptors hired Nick Nurse back, for you know, that this was sort of like, I'm not saying I thought this, but plenty of people did. This was a, I think, a pretty understandable concern was, oh, well, they just hired Dwayne Casey's lead assistant? Like, isn't this going to be more of the same? And Nick Nurse and Dwayne Casey could not have been more different in their philosophies. Would imagine that's the same from Nick Nurse to Adrian Griffin. So I don't think you have to worry about there being too much overlap, but... 
There have been plenty of reports about the Discord in the locker room. The, um, you know, there was, you know, Doug Smith reported stuff about Earl Watson and his maybe tricky relationship with Nick Nurse. Nothing ever came out about Adrian Griffin not having a good relationship with Nick Nurse or with the players. But, um, you know, I could totally see the argument for just wanting a fresh start, a clean slate, and new faces brought in to try to reestablish the culture. I can also see the argument for someone who's been there when the culture has been good, when it's been at its peak. Griffin was part of these teams. He was there in 2019-20, for example, a pretty prominent part of that coaching staff. Um, he's interviewing around the league for all these other jobs. Like, he's clearly respected around the game. Um, and maybe you want to have a sort of pillar who knows the sort of intellectual, you know, the, what is it, the, the, the infrastructural sort of where all of the, the sort of things are. I'm having a hard time phrasing what I'm saying. The, he knows the, the the sort of infrastructure of the franchise. He's been there through the good times. And so maybe that's a, a, an appealing asset in whoever you're trying to bring in. It's tough to say, but I think for me, it's not like exciting if they bring in Griffin. I know, you know, I personally would just like kind of like a new face in there, someone we haven't seen before, some fresh ideas, but I don't know enough about his personal coaching philosophies. This is the problem. We don't know really how good head coaches are until they do the job. And then you evaluate from there because it's so different from being an assistant. So I can't really speak to what Griffin would bring as the head coach, but I do think just sort of like the optics of it are maybe a little bit sort of uninspiring compared to the idea of bringing in a fresh face assistant or a wise sage of an old coach like Imani Williams or something like that. Uh, a really good question, though. We'll come back on the other side, close it out. We're going to talk about the offseason, shakeups that could go on around the league, uh, as well as a couple of historical Raptors questions. Before we do that... Got to tell you about our friends over at FanDuel, of course, America's number one sports book. Make a fast break to FanDuel during the NBA playoffs because right now, new customers can get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's $1,000 back in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. That is pretty awesome. And look, this is the time of year, baby. It's the it's the finals. There's only one game in town. I guess we got to wait for the Celtics to eventually bow out and put their tail between their legs and quit. Uh, nice little mirage in game four for them, but we'll see. Uh, either way, I, I think you know it's probably wise to maybe put some money down on the Nuggets to win the title. Uh, if you want to go ahead and do that, then don't take my advice. You can do the opposite as well, and that's perfectly fine. I'm just speaking as someone who put money down on FanDuel at the start of the year on the Nuggets winning the title, and I'm very happy about how that bet's looking right now. Uh, so if you want to join me in that happiness, you can do that, or you can do whatever you want on FanDuel. You can make a same-game parlay. You can do really anything, look at any sport, any lines that you want, and they have them available across the globe. They've got great promotions every day. They're a safe and secure app, and you get paid instantly. There's no better place to bet the playoff action than America's number one sportsbook. Visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn and get a no sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. FanDuel, official sports betting partner of the NBA. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and LockedOn NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, rounding out the show here with your final segment, full of mailbag questions. Thanks to all those who sent in questions. Apologies if I don't get to your question today. Um, but we'll, uh, we'll do what we can. So a couple of quick questions about like the off season and what I think will be kind of a chaotic summer of upheaval around the league. Uh, this one comes from Duncan, also from the Discord. What teams will have the biggest shakeups this off season? Does Philly blow it up? Does Houston pivot huge? I'm generally ready for the roller coaster to start or the coaching changes the big shakeup this year. Um, 
I think the coaching changes will be a big part of it. Like there's a real chance that Nick Nurse is the biggest move the Raptors make this summer to change the complexion of their team. And again, you can disagree with that all you want. Uh, you know, I, I think go running back and being patient much as everyone thinks I'm an idiot for doing that. Like it's a probably what's most like most likely to happen. And B, I think there's a lot of merit to the idea of not rushing these things along and just giving it time, letting things build and germinate. But, um, you know, I, I suppose we could see a big Raptor shakeup. This could have in a world. There is a world where the Raptors are the team that has the biggest shakeup this offseason. They have three pending UFAs. They have all sorts of teams who might want their good players. Like there's a world in which it is the Raptors who are the team that look the different, most different on day one of the season next year than they do right now. I would bet against it, but it's there. Philly, I mean, this could go a million directions. I think what's most likely is Harden walks and Embiid sticks around and they try to sort of patchwork together a team. And then a year from now, Embiid probably asks out because the Sixers ain't good enough anymore. Um, That'd be my guess there. They're going to make the coaching change. I would bet the Celtics make a coaching change. And honestly, like their shakeup might be just dependent on what happens, like what Jalen Brown wants to do. Um, you know, I think the Celtics, as much as they stunk <laughs> or have stunk in the playoffs and have, um, you know, not been awesome, I think the best course of action for them is probably just to keep it all together. Like they made the finals, they made like three conference finals in the last four years. Like they're pretty good. They have something good going there as much as it's imperfect. Guess what? The NBA is imperfect. There are no perfect teams except for maybe the Nuggets right now. And even they have their own sort of issues with defense and stuff like that from time to time. Um, you know, with the the Celtics, like, they could walk into next season doing nothing and still be the favorites to win the East. It's just kind of the state of flux the league is in right now, the state of the flux that the conference is in. Um, you know... We could see like a really big shakeup with the Nets, I suppose, if they really try to cash in on a lot of their trade assets. Maybe they trade Mikel Bridges. Maybe they go and find a star to pair with Mikel Bridges. Um, that could certainly happen. Um, but yeah, I, I think maybe the sort of back part of this question is maybe more in line with things. This feels like, all right, all these teams kind of screwed up. <laughs> like, And I do think there will be some like big shaking in the West. Um, you know, I think Memphis is going to have to make a big move. The Warriors might make some massive changes, all of this. In the East, like at the very top of the East, at least, I wonder if it's change the coach and see if it fixes things. Because it's very likely all three of the top three seeds in the East this year fire their coaches. And it's just because they're in positions where they have expensive teams, where there are limitations on how you can add to those teams. I wonder if those three teams in particular are more likely to kind of keep things together. But again, it could all blow up if James Harden leaves, if Jalen Brown decides he doesn't want to be in Boston, and then it's all bets are off. We'll see. But it's going to be a wild summer. It's going to be nuts. And again, I think uh, you know the Raptors will be probably mixed up in it some way, shape, or form, but we'll see. Let's get to another one here. This one comes from a little either-or question from Mason OS 95 asking, would you rather trade Pascal and OG for three plus Simons? Uh, little and whatever other filler is needed or take best player and take best player available at three or start calling the Hornets and see if they would take on Pascal for two, which would likely cost us 13 as well. Whew, that's a big, let's just kind of go through this part piece by piece. Um, Pascal and OG for three plus Simons. That is, you're not doing that. It's just, it's not, you're, you're, it's one or the other of Pascal and OG. You're not trading both for Simons plus Little plus the third overall pick, especially if it's Brandon Miller at three and not Scoot Henderson, um, which again, I just prefer Scoot. I don't really particularly want to have Brandon Miller and worry about all the stuff that uh, you know has kind of followed him off the court. I would just rather not think about that or have that on my team. That's fine. Um, you can disagree. I, I don't agree with you. But <laughs> you know, either way, Pascal and OG for three plus Simons, that's not 
fair value. Like OG, I, you could argue, is a more impactful NBA basketball player driving positive play than Anthony Simons is. As much as Simons' skill set is in dire need on this roster, giving up OG's skill set along with Pascal's skill set to get it feels like a little bit of an overcorrection to me. Um, you're, you're kind of just throwing away all of your wing depth in one fell swoop there. As much as Nas Little's nice, you can't trust Nas Little to be healthy over the course of a full season, nor can you trust him to be more than just a nice bench role player, I don't think. Um, you know, if it's one of Pascal for three plus Simons and Little, like I've already suggested, I think that's a thing I would probably look at. Um, if I'm the Blazers, I would prefer Pascal because he's a better player and I think fits really nicely next to Dame. It seems like maybe they covet OG more. And if it's OG for three plus Simons and Little... I'm sorry, OG, but you're doing that. Like, it's just, it's, that's a no-brainer trade. You're not doing both Pascal and OG, though. There's just no way. Um, as far as calling the Hornets, I mean, it's tough. I, I don't think you want to give up 13 if you can avoid it. Like, it would be nice to add this pick without giving up 13, so you have two picks in the lottery. That's a really nice way to go forward. Um, and ultimately, if the Hornets are taking Scoot at two, I... I don't know. I have no idea what the Hornets are going to do. So it's really hard to answer this question. Like, I feel like the Hornets, it's been telegraphed. They're going to take Brandon Miller. Um, and so I've kind of been operating under that assumption. You can't assume anything, though, because it's smoke screens. It's the NBA. These things change and they're fluid and nothing is real and everything is in the ether and fake. Um, but yeah, Pascal plus 13 for two. You could look into it. Why are the Hornets doing that? I guess like Pascal is way older than everybody else in that team. I guess they have Gordon Hayward, then they can kind of have this weird sort of sad 39-win team, I guess. I don't, I don't know. Um, I don't really see that fitting the bill, although Pascal and Lamella would be a lovely fit together. Those guys would be super fun playing off of one another. Um, I just That doesn't feel like where the Hornets are in their cycle as a franchise right now. So, no, I, I don't think you're, you're looking at that. I think you wait and see if there's an opportunity there for the Blazers to kind of cash in on an opportunistic deal a deal where the Blazers feel under duress to add to Dame and they are forced to trade that pick. The Hornets are under no duress. They don't have to trade that pick at all. And so you're going to have to pay a premium. And I just don't think you should be paying the premium if it means giving up your best player in order to get uh, the second overall pick, along with your 13th pick going out the other door. So I, I don't like really either of these constructs, but thank you either way for the question, Mason, 09, OS95. Uh, let's get to this last question here. Actually, two quick ones. This one from G Rex from the Six asking, "Do you think Vince should get his jersey retired? I think he should, in fact, be the first rapper to have his jersey jersey retired as the franchise begins and starts with Carter." Uh, I disagree. I think Kyle should and will be the first guy to get his jersey retired. He won the championship. He was with the team for nine seasons, holds a ton of records, and is associated with the most successful run the team has ever had. He is the face of the last decade of Toronto Raptors basketball. And I think has become even more sort of appreciated as the face of that in the years since he left. Because um, he's awesome. He's incredible. He was the guy, he was the culture setter in all of this. Um, Vince was incredible. I'm a Raptors fan because of Vince Carter. I remember my very first game going and seeing him score 47 points against Ray Allen and the Bucks after my grandfather on the dry, trip down to the game talked all of my ear off. Ray Allen's so good. Ray Allen's so good. And Ray Allen was fine in the game, but Vince Carter Carter punked him and uh like I've been Carter pilled ever since he was incredible 
He also quit on the team and said he wasn't going to dunk anymore. And I think as much as I'm over it and as much as I'm like perfectly fine with Vince being a celebrated part of Raptors history, I'm glad they've buried the hatchet. I'm glad things seem to be on pretty good terms between him and the franchise and even most of the fan base outside of a few. I know there were a couple of uh, dissenters in the Discord about Vince getting his jersey retired at all. I think it should get retired, but I think it's got to go Kyle first and then maybe even DeMar after that and then Vince. Although I think you could argue Vince before DeMar makes a lot of sense. Either way. None of this is going to happen until Kyle retires, um, and I think once Kyle retires, we'll get a bit of like a run of like one year it'll be Kyle, next year it'll be Vince, next year it'll be Demar, or if he's retired down the line, we'll see when that happens. But uh, I think Kyle retires, we'll get Kyle then Vince in pretty short succession, but they're not doing it without Kyle first, I don't think. And I don't think I think that that's right. Like Kyle is the most successful. He is the best Raptor in franchise history. As much as Vince was extremely important and maybe saved the franchise from moving just by being Vince freaking Carter. He also quit on the team, <laughs> and I think that is worth something. It means you get to be second in line to get your jersey retired instead of first. I think that's a fair trade-off. Last one here. This one comes from Blue Steel. Another historical question, speaking of teams that moved. The Grizzlies had stayed in Vancouver. Would the two Canadian teams be brothers-in-arms, or there would be a big rivalry? Thinking about how Vancouver and Toronto fans interact in hockey... I think it would be kind of a blood feud between, like, the fans of the team. Uh, You know, I I don't think, like, the franchises would really have all that much in terms of, like, animosity just because they play twice a year and likely would never play in the finals and all that stuff. Like, I don't think there would be a ton of opportunity to build a crazy rivalry. Maybe you have some sort of special preseason game. You bring back the Naismith Cup. You pry the trophy from Anthony Parker over it with Maccabi Tel Aviv and uh, bring it back and make the Naismith Cup again. If you haven't heard about the Naismith Cup, go look it up. Uh, It's for old heads. Um, But uh, yeah, I think the fans would probably hate one another. Like, full-on, Vancouver hates Toronto. Toronto hates Vancouver. That's just kind of the rule if you're Canadian, I think. Uh, And so the fans would despise one another. There would be, like, battles for the middle of the country as far as, like, oh, we got Manitoba, baby. They're Raptors fans. They're Grizzlies fans. Uh, Anything west of Saskatchewan is all Grizzlies territory. I don't know. I feel like it would get pretty nasty. It'd be probably one of the more annoying online internet things uh, in the world if Raptors and Grizzlies fans were able to interact all the time um but maybe there'd be some copacetic feelings there as well as like the two teams north of the border i I just i know how basketball fans work we're all sickos we're all crazy we all are very territorial and i feel like the territorialness would get extreme with if if toronto and the grizzlies were both in canada personally i wouldn't mind like uh sort of going away from we're canada's team thing i know that's you know maybe a sacrilege thing to say i just want toronto on the jerseys more that's kind of all i want they don't really have any jerseys that say toronto on them um that's really where this is coming from but yeah i think it would be fun to have those games the the games would be pretty wild i think in person you'd get like a good mix of fans in there i i, I would guess just you know people out west who have moved from the east and vice versa and all that um but yeah it would be uh i think the online fan rivalry would be one of the more odious things in the world which uh maybe we're happy to not see because online's odious enough we'll leave it there Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you so much for sending your questions in. Lots of good ones this week. Again, if we didn't get to them, thank you uh, for getting them in anyway. And you can always leave questions in the Discord mailbag questions channel. And I'm constantly just kind of updating them and, and pulling them for future shows. So please leave those questions in the mailbag 
part of the Discord, and uh, we'll leave it there. Thank you so much for tuning in. We'll talk to you again tomorrow. TBD on the topic. We'll probably do some sort of draft coverage. Uh, maybe look at it, getting an expert on to talk about one of these prospects. Um, but in the meantime, thank you very, very much for hanging out and supporting the show and joining the Discord and uh, following on Instagram and all that good stuff. And we will talk to you again on Thursday with another episode of Locked On Raptors. Thanks for hanging. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.